Hey guys, welcome to Transit Matters number four. Uh, this is Jeremy here real quick, uh, just letting you know we have a very exciting conversation that I had with uh, Mark Ibunya, who is, you, you may remember from episode one, uh, who writes uh, transitmatters.info, and, uh, and Josh Fairchild, who joined us uh, after a conversation we had over email. Uh, so we sat down to talk about the MBTA, uh, the future of the T, uh, or its its vision of or lack thereof. You know what we think are real transit issues in the Boston area, and uh, just a bunch of other related topics. Um, I think you should really enjoy this conversation. So uh, I'm gonna let it roll, and uh, yeah, I don't know if I'll talk to you afterwards, um, but I will talk to you. You will hear me plenty in this interview. So, uh, yeah, write in, let us know what you think. Transitmatters.info is where you can find all the uh, stuff or feedback at transitmatters.info. Uh, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and if you want to follow me, I am at Critical Transit on Twitter and elsewhere. Welcome to the Transit Matters. Uh, this is number four, I think. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm Jeremy, and uh, back with you for another week, I guess. And we have we have two uh, two others here, and uh, maybe we'll even make this regular thing. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Um, I'll let you guys introduce yourself to the interwebs. Yep. Yeah, I am uh, I'm Mark Ibunya, and uh, I've been writing the Transit Matters blog since uh, around 2009 or so. Um, and we've also got a uh, a guest who I think we'll, we'll be bringing in more, more frequently. That'd be nice. My name is Josh Fairchild. I'm just an armchair amateur transit enthusiast, uh, you know, a, a user of transit and someone who's always thinking and, and trying to learn more about, you know, why things aren't working as well as they should or what, what could be done. Um, and I, I work in commercial real estate. Okay. Cool. Um, well, to start off the conversation, um, I think one of the big things that came out of a recent tw- uh, Twitter conversation with one of our users was an issue of vision. How does how do we get a vision for transit? Who who is who is in charge of that vision for transit, and and uh, how do we, how do we how do we get that conversation started? I think this is important because you know we we talk about trying to get better transit service, and we talk about you know and the, and the reason that that I you know wanted to have. Have you sit down with us, Josh? Was just because you were you had emailed um, actually a couple times, but you you had said that, that you know we were talking a lot about the green line, and you brought up the issue of, of the bus system and how there really haven't been any investments to the bus system, and there are so many needs, um, and you know they're looking at certain corridors and trying to figure out you know what is it that we can do to, to make bus service more uh, faster, more reliable, um, and I think this this all kind of links together uh, because we we don't really hear. You know what is it? Like we're not hearing anything from the T in terms of you know what they see as as the vision for the transit system, and you know we're not really hearing anything from the, the political world, and uh, you know we don't have a lot of advocacy <laughs> either. So I, it's I don't know where what are we. Um, do, do any of us have a vision? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, we were even mentioning earlier, it, it, it does seem to come down to sort of a chicken or an egg thing, but I think when it when it comes down to an agency that is um, ultimately gets its funding from the legislature and they are going to do what is demanded by the people, and so I think really what it comes down to is you, you could blame it on legislators, but they're not going to champion anything. You know, they're sort of more of a lead-from-behind kind of group of people, and they're not going to champion things that they're not hearing. And I think what, you know, we talked about how, well, 
bike advocacy. We're in the age of bike advocacy now, and it's something that has really, at least, I wasn't even wasn't seeing the things that we're seeing today five years ago. Definitely not ten years ago. Um, and I think that provides a blueprint for the type of grassroots advocacy we can have with transit. And if you think about the share of the population uh, that is potentially can be part of the groundswell compared to what it is with bike advocacy, I mean, wow, look, look what we could do. And then I think that turns turns the tables, and then, then it will. The, the legislat- legislators are going to have to say, "Wow, the people demand this," and then then the T's budget problems. They'll be able to start, you know, planning further ahead. Right. I think one of the other things that we mentioned, um, and that I think we would love to see more, is a, kind of a menu of different transit transit visions, transit uh, vocabularies of how other people have solved some of the problems that we have. Um, you were, you were, uh, we've also talked uh, occasionally about capacity issues with buses, capacity issues with the Green Line, uh, and how do we lead that conversation? How do how does anybody lead that conversation? Uh, in the face of operational issues, or do you just kind of just offer a menu of different changes that can happen and then well, see where I mean, it goes? You talk about this all the time. I mean, you know, you're saying that the T is basically in crisis mode, and so it, you know, it doesn't, um, you know, and we can say what we want about, you know, bus service management, and I you know, happen to think that there are a lot of areas for improvement, uh, <laughs> to put it mildly, but, and I'm, I'm not really, uh, you know, not I'm not really being secretive about that, but, you know, we... It's it's part of part of trying to figure out, you know what, um, well, I mean I guess the T is in this position of of you know being because they, because they're in crisis mode you know we don't hear from them about about what you know improvements they they're not really planning improvements and um, you know the advocacy is sort of is sort of fragmented. I mean when we you were talking about um, I guess going back to. Um, what were we just talking about? Um, <laughs> Green line capacity and bus yeah. buses and um, menus. Right. And so, you know, so that's, there's so many different things that we can do to make the service better. But if we don't know what it is, or if, if people don't know, you know, aren't familiar with that vocabulary, then you get a lot of people, you know, a lot when we had the, you know, the key busters improvement thing that was going on last year, you know, you had a lot of people coming out and saying, oh, you know, don't get rid of that stop, you know, because it's like a lot of people use it. And it's like, well, that doesn't really, that kind of defeats the point. And, but then you, you, you start go back, you start to go back and, and think about what are we trying to accomplish here? And I just, a lot of times that's just not very well laid out. Right. Cause I think, I think, um, Unfortunately, the the silver line, I'm sure, is a is a horse that has been beaten and beaten and beaten many times over. Yeah. Um, you mean the silver lie? Sorry. Yeah, the silver lie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I couldn't resist. <laughs> Boston has gotten really Boston has gotten really familiar with what um, BRT isn't. Um, unfortunately, to to many people who are in New England, uh, the silver line is their introduction to BRT, which is now a world-renowned laughing stock, and actually an example of how you don't do BRT. Um, so I guess taking that in the opposite direction, how do you show people what BRT is supposed to be? And I think uh, we've also covered in a, in a previous post uh, more more recently the the options that are being considered for the Silver Line extension to Everett or is it Everett Chelsea 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 although it should probably go to Everett as well but. <laughs> that's that was actually something um, I recently met with a, another uh, uh, not a legislator but um, somebody in political power over there who is very interested in the idea that um, possibly one of the uh, 
uh, casinos might be able to put in some money for the uh, the infrastructure like that because actually that seems to be a theme these days with with Assembly Square and the new uh, what is it West Station in Alston right everybody throwing in money for the well we have we have an unnamed third party um, for, right. for the new station that is, is yet to be you know disclosed but it also gets back to what we're having now I think it's great that we're having businesses like New Balance and whoever this unnamed party is. For the for the West Station and and some other things like that, where businesses and in downtown crossing and, and businesses are starting to say, hey, you know, we want to be located near transit. Our employees value it, and we're willing to, to pony up and pay for some of it. But it shouldn't just be the places where you have large businesses headquartered that we get transit. There should also be, you know, people living in their neighborhoods saying, you know, I take the bus every day, or I, you know, I need to get to work faster. That's where we should also be having this vision right. coming from. But I think. The problem is a lot of these people, their relationship to transit is really, you know, well, I walk out the front door and there's my bus stop, and I don't really want to mess with that. But we don't really have an understanding of what it could be, right. you know. But as Boston becomes a more international city and people, uh, I mean, even though we have all these, you know, educational institutions and we should already know about all these things, but as people are coming and going from places in the world where they're getting to see other options, then maybe... We, we get more of that vision right. infused, but we've got to have a, a grassroots advocacy um, programs or overlays or something like that to be educating the people so they have the vocabulary that they can start expressing what it is that they want and they can start understanding the trade-offs. Yeah. And, and actually, that's something that we've been trying to do here with Transit Matters. So if you've got some ideas or resources or time to, vo- to volunteer, feel free to contact us. Yeah, maybe, so. that's, maybe, that's, uh, maybe that's us. Maybe we're putting ourselves into that corner. Yeah. So we've got to step up and do something. <laughs> um, um. But you know, it's it's and, and so the, the thing we were talking about a, a minute ago in terms of in terms of that that political force and is that you know are we ever going to get or, or do we have to move beyond this you know the big dig culture? As we, I, we have to. I mean, um, um, because when we talk about you know one of the, one of my big things is is the green line, and I'm always complaining about how you know the green line really needs to be upgraded to heavy rail, and I think that's what triggered sort of our email conversation. Um, you know, talking about buses, and it's, I agree as well. Um, but I think in terms of the in terms of the green line, like we're, it's like we're I sort of worry that we're never going to get to a point where we can dig. You know? Well, it's it's real. What, the green line is, is something. You know, I took the green line for four years. Um, I, I still do occasionally, but it's it's one of the. In fact, after actually after moving a few months ago, now I live more than I take the orange line on a daily basis, and then I went back to the green line, and uh, man, I was like, I just don't know if I can put up with this. And it's only after being, you know, spoiled for just a month <laughs> yeah. or something like that by actual high-speed transit that you realize, I, you know, this is crazy. But, you know, I think uh, w- one of the issues that we're dealing with there is is in terms of funding and the, the, the kind of vision that dollars provide. Is it the West Station Today announcement? I noticed that it's a $260 million turnpike straightening plan, which is going to be lots of benefits from it. And there's going to be a $25 million, you know, train mm-hmm. stop put in there. And I just think it's kind of interesting that nobody bats an eye at spending hundreds of millions, billions. I don't know what the numbers are for our, our transportation fund here for the, the Commonwealth necessarily, but billions of dollars on highway straightening projects and things like that. But then it becomes such a big deal, you know, to add a train station. Right. You know, no wonder we can't talk about Green Line improvements. I, I think that all whittles down to a, a conversation about credibility, going back to... The, the 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 man on the street or the woman on the street who uh, is waiting for the bus and you engage them in the conversation about well how do we get better buses 
And almost immediately the conversation becomes, well, how can I, effectively, how can I trust the T, how can I trust the MBTA with that money if I put in more money? How can I trust that they will actually improve my service and not just, you know, all of these preconceived notions of throwing it into the into the retirement fund or whatever? And, yeah. <laughs> and then, as, you know, going looping back to bigger things like the big dig, uh, the federal government almost pretty much refuses to give us give us federal grants and federal loans now because of the big dig, because of what we did with how much we spent, with how much we squandered and what our debt load currently is to the point where they say we want you to pony up more to to show us that you are also interested and invested in this project before we will ever give you more federal funding and federal assistance um, and so that's that's a major thing is not stepping it up stepping up on our on our side so that we can leverage even more dollars from the public from the federal sector as well as from the private sector because a lot of those private private sector deals happen um, in in backroom deals, or not, not to make it sound really shady, but like no, but I mean that's what goes on. You know, there's, there's deals with you're talking about. I mean, you talk about uh, corporate power in the right. country, right? I mean, that's that's where you see it. You know, it's it's you know who gets the train station, the New Balance gets the train station near them. Right. And, well, the governor, well, the, the governor and the mayor, they want the jobs in the city, right. and yeah. the the employer says, well, and thankfully the employer says, well, we want a transit stop. I mean, yeah, that's true. It could be worse. Yeah. I, I'm glad they're asking for a trans stop instead of a new throughway. You yeah. know, I mean. well, I mean, like the conversation for funding from uh, from Federal Realty for the Assembly Square station. That that conversation for them pitching in didn't happen in you know a public meeting or something. So I mean, these so so with the public stepping up and saying, hey, why 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 doesn't uh, you know so and so throw in money for this or or why why don't we throw in um, a uh, value capture tax for for say something like Assembly Square. That's that's a major thing that a lot of people don't realize exists or or is just a politically infeasible or politically un, unsavory concept. The the idea that you would tax yourself um, to reca- recoup the the value that you're going to be getting um, and. A lot of people don't realize either it's not in their vocabulary or um, they think it's just politically infeasible. And you were telling us earlier about how the fact that um, sometimes even politicians, uh, in the face of overwhelming public support, um, will simply snub their nose at the idea of raising taxes, even though people say, oh, I, you know, I would love for you to raise my taxes. I just want to see a tangible result from whatever happens. And unfortunately, it's kind of disingenuous sometimes to even promise a tangible result because it's not always tangible to see the improvement of the green line uh, when you have trains not running into each other because you have a more sophisticated signaling system. Um, but you might feel fewer stops and goes because you don't have to have a stop to make sure that the train isn't round- rounding a corner and there's another train ahead of it. So, you know, small I mean, things like There's that. also the issue of trust, you know, the public trust, trust yeah. in, in the public officials. I mean, you know, when I used to work for the T and I would go out to the meetings and, you know, you would get, I mean, not only would you have to, would I have to hear about, oh, you know, like a couple of years ago, there was this driver who didn't stop for me and, you know, you hear all that shit. But there's also the, the public's trust in government officials has been so broken, even, even going back to the, the highway mm-hmm. era and, you know, and even the, the um, all these government agencies going and promising certain things, and you know, and people just not getting what's what's been promised, and that's I think that is part of what makes it a really hard sell 
for taxes. Yeah, awesome. it definitely sounds like we need to, you know, so we have we have a regional planning um, body, the MAPC, yep. and of course they don't have any authority to uh, enforce any of the planning that they do. Right. But it seems like we need also, we need some sort of regional um, planning board body for, trans, for transportation issues that's going to unite the communities. And I think... I'm, I'm not, you know, being somebody who watch, watches politics pretty closely, I'm really not so bothered by the fact that the federal government is backing out on a lot of the funding issues because to the extent that the federal government um, is not playing as much of a role in whether we can, you know, extend our subway or something like that, that's also the extent to which we can have more power over it if we choose to. Exactly. You know, so the funding is not coming from there. It's got to come from somewhere. And if we want it, I think that we need to say – hey, you know what, we're okay with having like a penny sales tax here for a few years or a gasoline tax or a congestion fee. But I think it has to be localized because people really get upset when we just do some, some blanket tax like this over the whole Commonwealth and they know, well, it might go to Boston you know, or something like that. But maybe if we could segment these things more to be in the neighborhoods or in the cities and then, and then those taxpayers in those areas could say, like we have business improvement districts, those taxpayers could say, we're willing to penny up more, just like the businesses do in downtown crossing, but here's some things we really want to see. And maybe they could even say, you know what, we don't want to trust the MBTA. We want, we want to have a competitive bid to see who's going to operate this new service that we're going to provide. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but, yeah. you <laughs> know. Things could get interesting. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's, I think, I think. You, you hit the nail on the head with um, with giving getting people the 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 incentive and keeping the dollars local um, is is sometimes incredibly incredibly useful in in uh, building that 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 political support that's needed for 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 things like value value capture taxes and all of these sorts of things um, and you know that's I, I just want to bring, yeah. bring up again one point that that you mentioned earlier I think it was you Josh who was saying that. You know, with with the this high this uh, highway project, and we're getting the transit station. You were talking about it's a it's a one to ten oh, ratio yeah. Yeah. of transit to highway funds. Yeah, and just just in May, they the, the T said, well, the funding didn't go through. We don't have the money for this. You know, a two hundred sixty million dollar highway straightening project. We're not building a new highway; we're straightening a project. Like I said, great benefits, yeah. but just ten percent of that. You know, and it's not coming from the money for the project. It's coming from. Boston and Harvard and some third, you know, source that hasn't yet been named, or I guess the MBTA and yeah. and Harvard and this third because the MBTA has plenty of money to throw. Because <laughs> I think I think that actually speaks also that announcement um, speaks also to, well, what you don't have twenty five million dollars to throw into a station? Yeah, the the MBT and the right. MazDOT does not have twenty five million dollars to throw into a station, and I think I think ultimately what um, I think that was a. Uh, uh, not only was not only did the globe unfortunately mis misrepresent or, or misreport the the issue, and a lot of people ran around saying, screaming their heads off, saying the the T has officially said that there won't be a station, um, which they didn't. Uh, I I think in some ways that actually worked to the benefit of of MassDOT and the T because then there was this groundswell of support of people who said, well, we have these visions for the area and we want to see this succeed. Um, because we have we have a major opportunity here to unlock one of the one of the many places within da- really close to downtown Boston that are just lying dormant and uh, are are just sitting as that could be new neighborhoods. Um, what was it? The uh, Boston Boston Architectural Association, or um, uh, they uh, 
mean the Boston Society of Architects. The Boston, or? thank you, the Boston Society of Architects. That was, which by the way, is yes. right down near where we are right now, and uh, some Congress on Congress Street, like really close to South Station. And um, they have great exhibits, and they're very pro-transit and pro-urban design, and I recommend that space. Yeah, they uh, they've actually posted to their website, and we'll be we'll be posting a link uh, in this in this post as well as in a later post. We'll talk a little bit more about transit-oriented development um, to continue rolling with the subject of uh, <laughs> how you do it well and how you don't. Um, they have posted it on their website. If you go to their website at uh, architects.org and uh, go to their program and events um, section, there are some uh, postings there in their urban design workshop postings. Uh, and again, we'll we'll put we'll put a link to the directly to what they proposed. <laughs> to all you, you better send me that link. Yeah, <laughs> they they po- they they. they uh, uh, presented to the community, community two alternate visions of what the Beacon Hill, uh, Beacon, no, sorry, not Beacon Hill, Beacon Park Yard could turn into, um, and I, I think some of they were they were very interesting. And oddly enough, that that preceded the mascot uh, meeting, so that way people had again they had a menu of options and a vocabulary and a vision that they could go to the to mascot with and say. We want. We've seen this. We have. We have seen a vision where this could work and how this could improve our communities. We want something like this, and then being able to speak to those different points. So yeah, and I think the interesting thing going on with this Beacon Yards thing is that now everybody wants to get in. You know, there's yeah. like what is that, like twenty acres now that's opened up now. It is a lot so of space. It's like everybody wants to get in there, and you know, it's it, putting all these things together. It's, I hope we do a much better job than we did in the Seaport District, because that's. I don't know if we want to wrap up. Yeah, I think we're all, yeah, we've we've all heard so much about how, you know, they they planned for transportation in the Seaport District, and we're we're already past the 2020 projections. I think it's pretty hard for most most anybody in the public to believe that that there's much serious planning going on behind that. Um, I actually went to a meeting a couple of weeks ago, uh, the same night actually as that Beacon uh, Beacon Park Yard meeting, which is why I couldn't go to the Beacon Park uh, Yard meeting. Maybe that would have been a little interesting. But um, the folks who, the residents who were in attendance, um, I, I think... Maybe was this last Wednesday. Uh, it was two. I think it was either last Wednesday or two Wednesdays ago. Uh, the meeting in which they actually went over the different options that they were looking at. Um, Are you talking about the Seaport? The Seaport District. Yeah. Oh, okay. people live there. Yeah, there there are people who live there. There are residences, um, and there there's going to be considerably more. So, uh, based on the development profile of what of what's been submitted and what's been approved, uh, it looks like it's going to be a, a one third, one third, one third office. Office, residential, and um, uh, what would they, uh, industrial or retail or something like that. So, okay, um, use stuff. Yeah. So basically, yeah, there's, it's all going to be mixed use. And um, what are we talk, which, which spot are we talking about? Is because I thought the seaport was already like all office buildings and stuff. All of the seaport. There's more. There's more development actually happening right now that uh, some buildings are just finishing up as residential. Okay. I think the last. Three buildings that just finished up. In oh, the so it's not necessarily like mixed use. Like we, you know, these new urbanists all love to talk about. It. It's, it's more like just, you know, it's like the suburban thing where you have your offices over here, and you know, down the block you get your residence. And yeah, so like, okay. yeah, you don't have you don't have like mixed tower. Actually, admittedly, the the towers also aren't tall enough uh, because of because of FAA restrictions on on heights. Uh, I think seventeen stories. is yeah, the, the, okay. the highest. So you still can, pretty high, but um, it's it's a lot of. 
different use towers in very close proximity right. to each other. Yeah. Um, and, and there's going to be retail on the ground floor right. um, of, of, of all the buildings. Yeah. And so one of the other big things that they're really talking about right now is the fact that uh, one, they are limited by I think another twelve hundred spaces or so uh, before they hit the um, the area's cap for uh, parking that was set. That what was it nineteen ninety seven or something? The EPA cap. The yeah the the EPA cap on on the number of parking spaces that they that they imposed on, that Boston imposed on its on its uh, different neighborhoods. Um, I feel like that's another big issue that we you know always wind up talking about, and especially with the you know the bike crowd. You know we always wind up talking about parking, and it's yeah. like. I mean, that's, you know, you talk about the seaport, right? I mean, I feel like there's just so much parking there, and the area is complete gridlock. And I'm actually really glad that I'm not really working much over there anymore because I used to have to drive a van around there, and it's just complete gridlock, and you just, it's just ridiculous. But, and I think it's because of, of you know, all that. There's just so much parking there. This is a thing, that, you know, citywide, obviously. You know, we talk about, you know, getting uh, bus priority and stuff, and it's like, oh, no, we have, we have these parking spaces here. And, um, that's, you know, that's... One of my real, real frustrations is like the, that, that shows a lot about the supremacy of the car because no matter what you want to do, it's like, oh, we need the parking. Right. Well, I think, I, I think that one of the reasons that exists is because if it takes 20 or 30 years to build a better subway system to serve that area, well, any developer can say, well, I'll just build a parking lot. You know, what I mean, mm-hmm. and of course, that's there's a, a zoning conversation and all kinds of things that go into that. But that that's definitely no matter where you build, and especially people who are used to building out in suburban locations, like they they know well. You know, if I can just build a park, well, there's roads. You know, there may not be a subway, but there's roads. So, uh, you know, that that that's definitely the the fault of I think you know our, the the people ultimately and the politicians not thinking ahead on that. Of what was going to be necessary, right? Well, actually, there was a, it was an all-star cast who formed the the panel. The, the this was the second meeting, and the third meeting will be coming up soon. Um, basically, everybody from uh, Jim Galuli, who is the uh, I guess is he still technically the interim? He is director? the acting head of the BTD, the Boston Transportation Department, and they have groups like Livable Streets have been pressing them to go and do a proper search and to do a national search and try to find a commissioner, but they're just kind of, you know, sitting on their hands and right. saying, la, 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 we, we don't, you know, it, it, it'll happen eventually. Right. Oh, so well, for all intents and purposes, he is the director. He is very, he is very pro-car uh, from experience. Yeah. Well, he, he um, uh, well, we, he and I had a conversation, and we can talk about that later in a different episode. Um, we can actually. I'd love to invite him over here to this. Yeah, that'd um, be great. The uh, uh, and all the way over to uh, Cairo Shen from the BRA, Dr. Scott herself from the MBTA. Um, you know, uh, folks from private, uh, I guess, uh, technically private such associations, but uh, the Seaport TMA, the Transportation Management Association. Right, it's all the so, usual political players. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but they all seem to be at least in talk um, in in. In agreement that uh, improving the transportation options in the area is a major is a major issue because there is going to be so, there are going to yeah. be so many people I mean, we moving know that. to live there. But we know that. I mean, the Silver Line's like capacity, right? You know, and again, I think and I was, it's going to get worse. I think last time we talked, I, I yeah. was giving you shit about this because you know it's like I'm like we you know we know that there's 
that there is a, a crisis in terms of transportation. I mean, you look at the Silver Line right now, it's just, it's jam-packed. Well, every, everywhere you look, there's a crisis. Every bus, yeah, exactly. every train, every... So it, it's nice on the one hand to, you know, you hear people, okay, yeah, you know, they're saying, oh, yeah, we need more transit, we need more transit, but, you know, this is a major city, and it's right. a, to, to just come up there and say, oh, yeah, we need more transit and not follow through is just, I mean, come on. Well, yeah. you know, one of the things I think in the seaport that's interesting, so, uh, you know, a lot of that land in the seaport is currently owned by Massport, and they do long-term, let's call it 99-year ground leases to the developers who then develop it. And so Massport is, is you know, they're getting some money out of that. And I'm sure there's lots of different ways the money's divided. But, you know, I was, you know, people want to look at what's possible. Um, and I was dropping my wife off at the airport last week. And I look over and there's this brand new, uh, I don't know, low floor, wide body um, bus. Yep. You know, it's this beautiful blue bus. And I'm thinking, wow, well, there's some money over here, you know, and they're buying these nice big buses, articulated buses, you know, things like that. And uh, and it says, you know, operated by Paul Revere Transit and Transport, you know. Mm-hmm. So that, that's not operated by the MT, MBTA. It's new buses. They're providing transportation services. Um, and, and what's interesting to me is that, you know, okay, yes, they're running the free shuttles that, that take you to the Silver Line and the Blue Line. I, I get that. But if they also, Massport is also owning all that land on the seaport, what, what can they do to also, if they've got some money to spread around, what can they do to maybe contribute to this yeah. issue? I think, I think you, you actually suggest a really interesting concept that um, because what actually happened there, I don't know if you, you've said you've been here for about five years. I don't know how closely you've been following with what's been going on at the airport. Um, but the new consolidated rental uh, rental car facility, in conjunction with all of the buses, actually il- pretty much eliminated all of the multiple bus sh- shuttle buses from the different private carriers for each of the different rental rental companies um, down into just just the existing blue airport buses that were circulating the free shuttles, um, and. The, what, what's actually been um, published as part of the South Boston Waterfront uh, study, and actually, to just quickly interject, they will be releasing uh, notes, hopefully uh, their, their suggestions and whittling down um, the different uh, plans that they're, the iterations of their plans they're, they're working through, hopefully at the next third meeting. Um, the concept that the, all of the MBTA buses move the same number, or rather, maybe we'll put it this, the other way around, all of the private carriers' shuttles move the same number of people as the MBTA buses that go through the area. I'm hoping I'm, I'm, oh, hoping I'm inter- interpreting that information correctly. But so you're talking about the, you're talking about like the, the rental car shuttles that are basically going, or you're just talk, or you're talking about all the hotels the, and other things. The ho- in, in in the Seaport District. I'm sorry, in the Seaport District. Oh yeah, all, yeah. All, like all, the Boston the, Coach and the Paul Revere and all these buses that you yeah. see going around. That the different the different yeah. companies and right. yeah that they've combined to. So you're like, saying you're saying yeah. that all of those private alternate tra- transit yeah. options. Are equal to what the MBTA is carrying. They're moving right. the same exactly yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. you see the same thing over in Longwood. You know, we get the right, Long medical shuttles. area, and yeah. well, in BU, yeah. you see the BU shuttle and things like that. Yeah. So I think the I think one of the things that uh, what was it? I don't remember where I was talking about it. I think it might have been with somebody on Reddit. The concept of the circulator, and that seems yeah. to keep coming up. Uh, actually, I think people on, on the uh, the transit subreddit, I mean, the, the urban ring, is that what we're talking about, or something different? Oh, uh, no, the general transit concept the, of a the, circulator. The, the, oh, the, oh, the concept okay, of a okay, circulator, I and uh, I think I think it came up in a conversation or a, con- uh, a, a thread that was uh, back at your 
your uh, the old blog that you worked at uh, uh, Street Street Seminar. Um, oh yeah, Street Seminar. Used to write yeah. them. Yeah. So they, um, I think they they covered an article, or it was, maybe it wasn't them, or it was somebody else in, in the Midwest covering the concept that one of the Midwestern cities was stealing the idea of the DC circulator, which is oh, actually. Right. Uh, I think well, it's that's, a, that's not really a circulator. That's like new bus routes, right? Sort exactly. Of a different. Is that what, that's what we're talking about. But but the yeah. but the circulator. I think they differentiate the circulator from their regular routes in the sense that it is. It literally. I think it runs in a circle. Let me double check the. Uh, now is this a circulator that has? You talking about one, DC? Yeah, the, okay. the DC. So circulator. in Washington DC, they have uh, they have five five routes that are called the circulator. They don't run in circles. Okay, they don't. They're basically <laughs> bus routes that go within D.C. Now, in Washington, D.C., they have the metro system, which is the subway, just like right. the T, but it's very, it's kind of difficult to get around the city on the metro because it's designed to go to suburban park and rides and that sort of thing. So they started this circulator bus system. It's it's five routes. They run, they, they stop like every two blocks. They run every 10 minutes. It's all a dollar. They're, they're each a dollar uh, to get on. Uh, you know, nice, good buses. They're operated by First Transit, which is a private company, uh, under contract to the city. The D.C. Department of Transportation runs them, D-Dot. and not Metro. Uh, not, you know, uh, WMATA, Metro. WMATA, yeah. It's, it's DDOT who runs right. it. Right, yeah. so I don't know if there's, I don't know about the politics there. There, there probably is some history that I'm not too terribly interested in, but these, they run, these are basically additional bus routes that go around within the city. Right. Um, you know, a lot of times when you hear circulator, the, the, the concept of the circulator, just like the monorail and, you know, mm-hmm. the airport transit and a lot of other things that, um, you know, they just rear their ugly head all the time. It's just people see that they, they take it somewhere and they're like, oh, this is great. I want this in my city. And they don't always know how it actually works. Well, I think what's what's important there is also the branding. And yes. even if even if we even if we're just upgrading, uh, what are the buses, the seven and the nine uh, and the 11 or whatever the buses that go through the, the waterfront. I'm pretty sure right. the 7 is one seven, of the 7, 9, and 11 are yeah. the big ones. Um, well, the 7 goes through the waterfront, yeah. Yeah. So, but their frequency is not very good. Right. So seven, up, upgrading yeah. them to... Which doesn't sim- make any sense if you think, right. you know... Right. Well, it's because the theory is always that we have the Silver Line. Right. And the weird, the weird thing with the Silver Line... Remember when the Silver Line first opened, it was the SL3 as well. Mm-hmm. That's why like, a lot of people, you know, they have the SL4 and 5 now over, you know, Washington Street. there's Street. no SL3. There was the SL3, <laughs> which, which went, it came out of the tunnel, you know, where, they, where the 1 and 2 come out of the tunnel. And then it went down Summer Street all the way over to, to City Point where the, where the 9 and 11 and 7 turn around. But nobody was really using it because the 7 would go there on, on Summer Street. It's just as fast and it was a little cheaper. Yeah. So everybody was just... Well, the is, is the 7 the one that goes from North Station? No, the that's seven the goes four, from you know. that's the four. Okay. Yeah, the seven four. goes from over here where the express buses yeah. pick up, um, it, right around Winthrop Square, all the way down uh, whatever Summer Street. I'm glad you bring this up, and I just want to mention because now that you mentioned the, you think what you're thinking of is number four. It goes from North Station, it goes down like the by, where the big dig is, and it goes over to the Seaport District. And I was talking about this recently because Hubway, you know, I, I've been working for Hubway, and uh, one of the most, the, the two most, the biggest, most challenging. Um, Trip patterns for for Hubway are um, Kendallton North Station, which is served by the Easy Ride, but you know there's a lot of traffic, and uh, Seaport to North Station. So all these people are coming in, they're taking the commuter rails to North Station, they pick up a bike and they go to work in the afternoon. And so we have all these vans that are trying to just take bikes back and forth, and it's it's like a living nightmare because now it's it's all gridlocked over there, which is why people want a bike in the first place. And then before is you know it runs like every half an hour in a peak only, and it just tries to do that little, but nobody rides it. I've never I don't think I've ever seen anybody on it. 
The four. The <laughs> four. Yeah, yeah. It's it's usually empty. I mean, but it's yeah. You're right. It's not it, it's not frequent enough. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean that that's that's an example of one of those routes that uh, some major upgrades. Yeah. Um, that, but even then, I mean, it just sits in traffic, and I don't know that it would ever be useful to anyone. Maybe maybe it could be. I don't so I mean, but I, I think that speaks to the transit deficiencies that you know. And I, I wanted to. Maybe I'll probably spend the episode talking about this about how you know Hubway can really show some of the deficiencies in the transit system. Yeah, and, and the data that we get from Hubway is right. really... And the interesting thing about Hubway is that's a completely new transit alternative that's been introduced in the last few years. It's not run by the MBTA, you know, so that's creating some competition right. also and some new ideas out there. Right. Because even even if... even if uh, So in, in many ways, a lot of these different systems aren't necessarily in at odds, or nor, they, nor should they p- be pitched at odds with the T, because they really are all... Integrated in our multimodal transportation system, which is such a right. buzz- buzzword th- these days. Yeah. <laughs> but it is really important to remember that we have an intermodal system, and that we don't have re- we in many ways on the roads we have different road users competing for space against each other. Um, but they're all just different vocabularies for how other how people can get around. Um, and I think the biggest thing that we can take from uh, from uh, Uber and from uh, Hubway and from even uh, Bridge, which Bridge. I think started our uh, started our conversation, was the fact is the fact that there is loads of data here. These these gr- these groups are very nimble, um, and uh, going to going to the whole co- cooperating with everybody else kind of concept. This intermodal planning perspective. Uh, there are ways that the T can rearrange their routes. And leverage the uses of other modes like bicycles through the through the waterfront and whatnot. Well, so. one of the problems with the T is that the just running a big transit system is you know and, and it's public, so you know you have to you can't just go and you know make a little tweak here. You have to go out to you know reach out to the public, right. and you got to do a whole big process. And you know, and I think that's where some of these others come in, and they say, um, you know, like the some of the, the businesses that are out there in the seaport and they have issues getting their employees from North Station, for example, they say, well, you know what, screw it, let's just run a bus, let's just pay a company to run a bus by the time we, you know, try to have input in the transit system, it's just, right. you know, we'll just run our own thing. Um, and, you know, and that's, this comes up a lot. Right. I think that was Bridges' thing, right? The bridge um, was, you know, there's an opportunity here, there's a need, and by the time the T is ever going to get around to it, well, there's always going to be another need as the right. city grows, you know, and, and as people move to, for different neighborhoods to try to find cheaper rent or better transit access. And as transit gets gets there, well, then they the bridge can can provide a new solution. You know, one of the things that I find really fascinating is uh, living in Brookline. I went back and was doing research on um, when Beacon Street and Com, Com Ave, you know, two two uh, parkways um, which were you know designed by Frederick O. Olmsted. And there was a developer who paid him to do this, and 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 they were designed with the idea that there that there was going to be a trolleys down the middle of the road, there was going to be cart paths, there was going to be um, bicycle. They had bicycle lanes in the original layout. Um, and but the interesting it. thing there is when you look at a lot of the streetcars in America, not just in Boston, is they started out with private developers, usually land speculators, saying the city's going to move this way because we filled in this area and then there's a train here now, whatever it's going to happen. So I'm going to buy up the land along this corridor. I'm going to pay, uh, or I'm going to get some investors together, and we're going to pay to bring a streetcar out here, and then we're going to sell the lots and the houses and things like that. And that worked out really well until they sold all the lots, and then <laughs> now they were running a transit system at a loss they didn't want to do. And so we have the consolidation of the West End Streetcar Company, and then we get the MTA and the BTA. But it still fascinates me that 
where does that play out today? We have Bridge, which is a private operator, you know, but where does that play out today as far as, you know, we do have developers that we're, we're trying to find ways to find a partnership between the public agency that owns the property by the station or under the station or along the corridor, but how can that play together better? Because it seemed like when that did happen in the past, where they could, because they were private, they could operate really quickly. They could they could lay those tracks really fastly instead of it taking what we see as maybe 25 years, 30 years from the time that we first identified the issue to implementing. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and that's and that's a that's a really great point. The the concept that um, these developers can not only provide uh, the capital to to help fund some of these things, but also uh, the political uh, the political push. And and the will for uh, for changes, uh, which I'm in in talking aside with some of the uh, the leaders who were um, at the at the meeting. Uh, apparently, some of the corporations on the waterfront really just want more parking. They're they're uh, and that's and that's they've they've moved from the suburbs and they've brought their their um, their suburban mentality with them. Uh, they may have moved there initially because they were right on the pike, but Maybe that's not, maybe that's not the, uh, <laughs> that's yes. not what the neighborhood wants, and nor is that really healthy for Boston. And I got news for you: if you're depending on people who drive to work from the suburbs, they don't want to be here either, because it's like anybody who it's like if you take if you take transit to yeah. work, yeah, you want to be in Boston and Cambridge, not real. But right. if you're if you're you know um, driving to work, like you don't want to be like what you know. You so don't want to drive. You're attracting you want to sit in traffic di- for an hour, right? And so you're attracting different yeah. different uh, employee. Recruit, recruitment bases, I guess. You know, you're trying the companies that are moving here, like all the companies in Kendall Square. You know, they're trying to attract people taking transit. Well, I think I think we are we're simplifying a little bit uh, too much. I think because what mm-hmm. a lot of these companies are seeing is that you know maybe it'd be more convenient for them to have you know their headquarters in Burlington or or somewhere in Metro West or something like that. And of course, I work in commercial real estate, so I, I see what the rents are you know on a quarterly basis, and definitely it's cheaper to have it out there. But what they're finding is. Okay, yeah, if you have the office near where the, the boss's house is in the, in the suburb, you know, the, the, the C-suite people, they need to recruit the talent to work for them. And the talent um, wants to be in the city. And so that's the trade-off they're making is they're saying, okay, well, we, we can drive on the pike to get there. We can pay $400 a month for parking or whatever it's going to be, and we're going to have employees that are happy to live downtown. But the interesting thing is going to be that at the same time, the apartments that are being built there, you know, we're talking $3,000 a month studios, you know, so I'm not sure if their employees, if they're paying their employees enough to live in those places or not. Yeah, the, I mean, that's, but on the, on the flip side, uh, actually, there was a, uh, a recent result of research when uh, the, World, uh, the Worldwide Fund for Nature, the WWF, not the Wrestling Association, um, moved to their headquarters in the UK um, from one town to another, which actually had better rail service. And they found that actually um, the concept that people must drive to work and uh, is actually, or rather the, the mode by which people use to get to work, is not static if you provide just that just enough of a um, men, an incentive uh, in this case what they actually did was uh, in moving their location they offered their employees the incentive of paying the difference of uh, in in transportation costs if it costs more if it costs them more to travel by train than to drive 
and I think in the UK, it's the the numbers work out very differently because they have more mm-hmm. private care. Actually, it's all pretty much all private carriers. That's out of London. It's all private carriers. Yeah, yeah. and then also the fact that. Um, they subsidize car travel in a way that's maybe a little bit less, trans, uh, a little bit more transparent or, or maybe mm-hmm. more direct than we do here. Yeah. Um, and so, in, in any case, what they found was when they went from some ridiculous modal shift of, uh, I think, what is it, 90% people driving to 90% taking transit within the first week of, of moving to their new location. And then that only petered down. I think I think only like one person or something like that went from uh, taking the train going back to to driving in the one month after they pulled them immediately after moving. So to which I say, no shit. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely right. <laughs> and, and I mean, and sometimes this is earth-shattering revelation. Right? Well, sometimes it really is. You, you you these are these are parts of the tools that advocacy groups need to be able to. P- bring to bear when they have these conversations about, well, you know, if if all of our people live in the suburbs, but admittedly, you know, several buses go, several express buses, including the 449, 448, and 4, uh, oh, 459, yeah. go right to the waterfront um, and actually have to unfortunately do that loop around uh, Seaport Lane to go actually to South Station. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe that's not a bad design. I mean, so <laughs> uh, maybe, yeah, maybe maybe if the uh, the Silver Line, um, uh, a dedicated express bus tunnel were actually built to uh, connect the Silver Line to the airport, but that's a conversation for another day. Um, you know, that's that's a that's a major thing is is how um, how do you get people to to get on transit if it's there? Well, you know, and one of the problems we have here, I mean, it becomes such a circular conversation. Exactly, right. But if we, you know, if we had a a transit day or a transit month where, and this has been proved in other cities where they say, hey, you know what, we're going to, we're going to make it, we're going to make it free, you know, maybe the employers pitch in or something like that. Everybody try transit, you know, this week. And it's been proven as 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 a way for people to to try it, and they say, you know what, we like it. And even if they have to start paying after that, a lot of them do decide to do it because they don't really care about how they get to work. You know, as long as they, you know, it's reliable, people get into habits, things like that, and they say, you know, I can do that too. Right. But I think the problem we have here in Boston is if we do that, we're we're already a crisis point every rush hour. How are we gonna if we convince another ten percent of people? You know, to mode switch. I, you know, right. I don't know how we cope with. They're gonna have a horrible experience, just like every time we have a Red Sox game. You know, so right, yeah. So <laughs> transit week sponsored by st- sponsored by New Balance and ruined by the MBTA. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. So, so but let's talk about the crisis situation because I mean, we gotta we can't, can't go on forever. Um, again, we want to go home. Um, <laughs> but I've been here for hours. <laughs> the um, I mean, talk about the crisis situation, and you know, we, we were talking about. How the reliability of, of transit, and right now we're at a point where just it's hard to get more people on the system. Um, and you know when you get people on the system, a lot of times you know we have bunching and you know slow buses and the whole rest of the, of the deal. And you talk about Fenway Park, obviously yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. a crisis, a lot of different mode. Um, I mean, where do we? I don't know where do we go from here. Or do we want to talk about solutions? Or I mean, because I feel like a lot of what we talk about is big stuff, but. Maybe we can just... Yeah, no, I think small things are good. And I think that, um, you know, one of the things is, so if we started talking about, we we can talk about uh, people are parallel routes along the green line, so at least we have enough capacity, even though it's stuck in traffic. But the Washington Street Corridor, um, the 66, these bus routes, like, what are the things that we can do near term 
um, that may be, you know, granted half steps, but what are things that we can do to give people a better experience and a better commute? Right. You know, that, that can happen much more quickly. And, you know, may, maybe it does involve buying some more buses or something like that, but that's a lot cheaper than laying more rails and doing all the things. If, if you already have existing routes there, it's a lot easier to just make some tweaks to it as long as you're still servicing the same people. So what, what can be done? Great. Uh, well, I mean, obviously we've got buses that go through, more buses that go through Fenway. I'm going to focus on that. Because uh, that's that's near and dear to my heart. I'm always almost always there and trying to get there for uh, for Reddit board game uh, meetups every three weeks or something. Um, I knew about the 55 that went through the area, but I did not know about the 60 and the 65 that go through Fenway. Um, there are obviously there are obviously routes, and we have we have established we have established routes. We have established um, means of getting from point A to point B. But yeah, how do how do we leverage them? I, I think I, I think it really just comes down to offering offering a a, a menu of options uh, that people can pick from. So, for example, uh, bus lanes, a uh, maybe a bus lane down Brookline Ave. Actually, no, I think a, a bus down bus lane down Brookline Ave wouldn't be such a bad idea. Uh, there is there is parking on either side, but also the area is growing with so many buildings with so much uh, parking inside them that and there's actually when whenever they pick up pace on the development over the uh, over the expressway, uh, that building is going to have I think. 1,000 or 2,000 parking spaces uh, right over the Yaki station. Yeah, I I can hear the groans now. Um, so, uh, but that but that gives us an excuse to say, well, you've got all this parking over here, and it's a five minute walk from everywhere in Fenway. Um, so we're gonna, we're going to try this out. We're going to take all the parking off. Uh, these are going to be dedicated bus lanes, and we're going to mm-hmm. increase the right. frequency of the 60, the 65, the 8, and the 19 that all go down Brookline Avenue. I have no idea where some of these buses go, but... Uh, those both go to Brookline. Okay, yeah. But uh, but they, they could provide um, critical service to Ken, through Kenmore. Um, so here's the thing. If you, if you talk to anybody at the T who's involved in, in any kind of bus planning or bus operation, I mean, they'll tell you they're, they're at, well, I mean, again, here we go, crisis mode. I mean, they're at literal capacity in terms of buses. They are, I mean, they have, you know, every time they have to run a shuttle operation, it's just like... You're pulling, like pulling buses off of other routes. I was going to say pulling teeth, but you're pulling <laughs> buses. Um, and you know, I'm even talking about a plan. I'm even talking about a weekend when they plan it out and they do red line construction mm. or whatever. They they have to. It's it's a nightmare, and they don't have so they can't they they don't have any more buses. They can't afford any more buses. Even if somebody bought them buses, they don't have a place to put them. They don't have. People they can't to. pay people to maintain them. It's just like a. It's a, so what I what I'm mm. trying to be really focused on is is figuring out how figuring out how we can speed up the buses that we have so that therefore we don't need as many of them to get the same level of service yeah. and either like, we can increase service right. or we can put them somewhere else. If there's and we're talking about parts of the city where with Brookline Avenue, Commonwealth Avenue, Mass Ave, Beacon Ave, Mass Ave. <laughs> these are streets that are wide enough to have dedicated bus lines and and they could be bus and HOV and private carriers. Maybe that's going to make it more palatable, yeah. but yeah, I mean, if, if the buses are running faster, we don't need as many buses because they can yeah. make more more trips. And maybe it becomes more palatable for these for these uh, uh, private institutions. Maybe maybe this is <laughs> uh, uh, a leap, but maybe those pro- uh, convincing those private institutions that yes, we can put money into the T instead of investing in our own fleet. 
um, or, or paying some other you know contractor actually putting money into those funds because the shuttle or that contractor only pays for transportation within that region what we we what really excuse me what we really want to see is better transportation options for our employees and uh, then you know then you get then that makes the conversation about other things easier so if there's better if there's better connectivity to uh, to say, for example, we'll, we'll just talk about the Longwood area. Okay. If there's better connectivity to the Longwood area, then it becomes easier to talk about digging down the 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 Bowker overpass. No, uh, yes, the Bowker overpass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, um, I, I think these things too, especially when you talk about places like Longwood or by Fenway, it's like these, I would love to see some experiments, just you know, car free or even even just like completely completely vehicle free. But I'd prefer to you know have buses through there and. You know, just try these different experiments, put up some cones, and just, you know, see what works. Longwood being the perfect example where the, you know, the, the buses that are going through there, it's just, like, clusterfuck. But that's because the, you know, there's this, like, two-lane roadway, and there's, like, I mean, you go over there, and there's ambulances stuck in traffic. And I feel like, you know, that's killing a major someone. city, <laughs> we shouldn't be having ambulances stuck in traffic. Right. Or buses either. Well, yeah, so, I mean, and when you're, when you're on narrow streets, so getting back to, to Washington Street, you're a two-lane street. Yes, there's parallel parking on both sides. Um, I, I guess we could somehow make you know uh, a dedicated lane there, but but it's a two lane street, and sometimes there's times when I'm going to or from Forest Hills where I see almost more buses than I see cars, and so what we're dealing with there is you know there's plenty of people taking transit, and yes there's still a lot of cars on the street, but it's really bad when the school buses are you know going to school and stuff like that. But sometimes I, I've been sitting on, on my bus you know waiting at a stoplight, which is always happening, and. <laughs> And and I see bus, 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 you know, car, car, and there's another bus, and I just think this is crazy, you know. Right. And what are what are some things that we can do on narrow streets like that, maybe, to uh, make up for these these choke points where all these buses are getting held up in a. A 10-minute drive is taking 45 minutes. Well, as a former Brookline resident, um, you should also be... Well, actually, no, not, not Brookline. Brookline, they, I think they have their own traffic computer, but more so more so Boston. Um, the signal priority you're talking about. You're going signal, signal priority, priority, right. We already yeah. know where all the buses are. It's not like it's not like the Green Line where we still don't quite know where the, where the, where the trains are and we have to radio about them. The buses we know ex- almost exactly where they are to a to a point that yeah. that we actually I can pull up my phone now and I can see where the next ninety three is going to be servicing uh, downtown crossing to take me in the opposite direction where I want to go this evening. But um, ultimately, uh, we have we have data and geolocation services from uh, from the MBTA as served by Nextbus and. Uh, and BTD has a traffic, a singular traffic computer. Yeah, but they uh, won't use it. Well, we've we've even talked about in, in the Green Line uh, Green Line Extension meeting, which uh, I'm going to throw out a, a big thanks to um, to, sen- uh, to Senator uh, Brownsberger for being so good oh, at facilitating yeah. these transit mm-hmm. conversations. He's one of the he's one of the political leaders out there who is actually. Um, uh, uh, driving conversations, and he he himself, uh, when it rains, takes the tea. But for the most part, bikes himself to to his office at Beacon Hill. Um, that I mean, that's that's critical. Like being being open to the idea of, well, we have a we have a monolithic computer system that's relatively twenty first century. Um, and then being able to open that up to these other systems, like I think that's that's been a conversation that a lot of people have been really talking about is when will the when will the the the, the public agencies when will the government 
or is it the government's uh, uh, prerogative or, or their responsibility to develop and innovate these 21st century concepts and technologies when other when the other private agencies are and and startups are willing to to take this on themselves like um like people like profiteers who are trying to sell parking spaces and broker them oh, on, yeah. a, on a market yeah, I mean, that's people. that's i mean clearly that's a sign that yeah. that we need top down uh, top-down reanalysis of our parking program, but that's just one facet of this whole concept that you know we have technology. It's not that expensive, but we're we're how, how do we how do we get them to talk to each other? Because we do have a lot of data out there. Um, but I think a lot of it's a lot of this <laughs> technology stuff is overhyped, though. I mean, I you know at the risk of being you know the, the old school guy in the room, um, I, I just a lot of this is 20th century solutions even. I mean, a lot of this is is making a little bit of space here and there. You know, dealing with going oh, yeah. and going and checking out this what's causing all this bottleneck at this, oh, this yeah. signal here. What's you know, there's there's a big problem with with the school, or there's people that always Ill- illegally double park their cars in a certain spot, or you know, going back even you know, like I said, bus lanes. There's there's bus service management, which I mean, it's a total shit show in a lot of places. Well, I I think that's where technology can help too, because people who are on the ground um, have Input and actually, I yeah. I was recently I was I'm recently thinking, sorry I mean nothing okay. but I'm thinking I'm talking about like you know from in terms of operations right right just you know all it's, all the data in the world has you know all the data in the world in terms of the buses and bus locations hasn't meant, really meant a thing in terms of the way the buses are operating right. on the street well like I guess what I, what I mean to say is the where where twenty twenty fourth century solutions can twenty fourth century yeah twenty fourth okay. century All right, go we're gonna it. use we're gonna use <laughs> teleporters <laughs> we don't need any buses <laughs> it was a cartoon we used to have in my office from the uh, you know with the green line extension it was uh, you know they always do the shuttle bus replacements when they do construction and it was like the green the shuttle bus replacement at Leach Mayor was a hover bus yeah 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 uh, well so so twenty first century solutions well. Um, I was invited to uh, to, to preview this, this past uh, two weeks or so um, the a transit diary that the MBTA and, uh, and MBTA advisory board are, are trying to put together. The problem, the great idea there is that we're going they're going to get so much data about pe- you know choke points and all that sort of stuff. But then the problem is going to be. How do you make sense of that data? Now you have to have somebody who come back and... I, I don't even agree with you that you're going to get a lot of data from it because I'm also, a, I don't know if you want to call it a subscriber mm. or whatever it is to the Transit Diary. I've done it about three times in the last two weeks. The problem is I don't have time to take 20 minutes to input. You have to input every segment of your trip oh, yes. separately. Yeah. Yes. So, so if I take, if I walk to the bus stop and take the bus to the orange line and the orange line in... And and then I do the same thing. That's that's four segments. You're every taking day, more time, right? Yeah, I take it, it. You know, it's just not smooth enough. There ought to be something that I can. And it wants to know. You mean what, like a trolley cart? What's, right. Yeah, you're, or or <laughs> if we have an mind. if we could have an yeah. app for the diary, and then right. I could just switch it on and say, yeah, I'm going to share my information with you today. Right. And then the app just knows what I took because right. that's kind of crazy. I've got to get to work, and here it is. You know, I'm at work. And I'm trying to work, and I, oh, I got to fill out this transit diary. Well, so yeah, I think that 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 goes into the category of of uh, 
yeah, we've got all this technology, but now how do we use it properly? What's the what's the implementation, the design? Um, because the other end, at the other end, I love reporting things um, via the Citizens Connect app that uh, that the city has. Uh, but the problem is, I would, I, I think it would also be really useful for the. I mean, the city's been very responsible, uh, responsive when I've reported things. But I'd also, I, I'd also love to see um, a heat map of different issues, persistent issues, um, and then being able to select a menu of things um, and to just kind of, you know, borrow a term from Reddit here, to upvote a problem. Uh, we, we, we have similar, we have similar web, web apps that do that already with, uh, with respect to real estate development and neighborhood improvement. Um, why, can't, why can't we have something like that for the T as opposed to a transit diary? Because um, really, you know, most of my journeys are fine. It's the choke points. Like, I know... I've, and I and I had to I typed this out every single day. Um, my observations that the train was fine uh, until it got to a certain station, and then it, when it got to another station, it would empty. But then when it got to another station, because it was taking so long for people to get on, it, that was the choke point. Um, you know the the T knowing how to how to scramble and where to scramble people. I'm sure that they already have that information, but also sharing that back with people in a in a map that both the agency sees and that the people see, so that they can see not only oh okay I'm complaining, but I see that other people have complained about this. I want to complain about that too, instead of everybody having to lodge their own complaint and then the T having to take more time to process each and every single one of them. Um, I work in customer service during my day job, and it would be a nightmare if we never sent out emails about advisories acknowledging, yeah, the email is down. Well, actually, that's a particularly sore one there, because when the email's down, you can't send out an email that the email's down. But well, I think I, 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 yeah. I, I like that idea a lot, the upvoting and allowing kind of everybody to say, hey, yeah, I agree with that issue. You know, I didn't take right. the time to write the email, but I agree with that. But getting back to Jeremy's discussion about just... 20th century operational issues, yeah. I, there's a lot of things that still aren't very user-friendly, even though we do have all these apps. And and one of them, I feel like, is the, the connectivity between uh, the commuter rail and, uh, and the T, which is interesting because we're talking about adding new commuter rail stops, you know, the New Balance stop and the West Station. Well, without the connectivity and without... A lot of people don't just intuitively understand how these systems work together. Now, I have, you know... A document on my phone where I've brought in all the information I need so in a split second I can look and say what time is it when's the next train should I take the train or the bus or the the orange line what can I do but one thing I see is because I used to be taking the green line and I started refusing to take it on Red Sox game days is I realized well I could just get on the Worcester line train at South Station and I could be at Yaki Station in seven minutes it's only one stop back bay and then you're at Yaki and then I can walk to the next green line stop and everybody the Red Sox fans have all gotten off and now I can, you know, get on an empty train. Not empty. It's rush hour empty, but whatever. Yeah. You know. But most people don't realize that exists, you know. And I, I had a colleague, and he was going to the game, and I said, well, hop in with me. I'm going to take the train. And he said, oh, the green line, you know. He said, well, I've lived here all my life. I never knew that I could take the commuter rail to Yaki Station. So there's just one example of pe- people don't know. Yeah. And, I, I mean, there's, again, apps that, that do that. I think one of them that's upcoming, up and coming is, well, it's been up and coming, uh, not Hopstop. I, it's uh, City Mapper uh, that that just pulls 
pulls different paths and maps you different ways and gives you the option to do those sorts of things. That's, but, I need to get that because I know that Google Translate doesn't really do a very good job of showing interconnectivity <laughs> between different types of transit. From different services. Yeah. Right, exactly. Google's not terms. perfect? What? <laughs> yeah. Well, but I mean, that's what most yeah. people are using and so right. they're not... The other, the other issue with, that I have with the commuter rail is so I can... Uh, I can go to Forest Hills, which is where I would take the Orange Line to anyway. Well, right. I just you live go in Rosendale, right? I get my right. Yeah, I live in Rosendale. So what I started doing is I get my uh, monthly commuter rail pass, which is, 1A. Yep. which is exactly uh, so one A commuter hate, rail. I hate people like you. Exactly the same as a Charlie card as far as like the price, you know, a Link Pass, <laughs> right. same price right. except yes. for this ticket is the worst technology, you know, to have That's to why use. I hate you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you, you never want to have to use it because you start using it and then it stops working. Yep. And you go see an agent every time. But, you know, a lot of people don't, don't, don't realize that that ticket gets them to all the 1A stops. Yeah. You know, and that's the other problem is the fare structure for the commuter rail doesn't make sense to people. It, it really only works for people who want to invest the time to figure it out or are just going from, like, their home to their work and back. Yeah. And that, that sounds like a, a both an organiza- a branding problem, uh, which I think is a, yeah. uh, as somebody who we're happened to be doing this in an uh, advertising agency's conference room, right. yeah. uh, borrowing <laughs> that, and uh, but also just the fact that I think branding is very important and the T's just kind of been bad about that. Like I, I'm, I developed the ad, the advisory signage out of just in a vac because of a vacuum of any sort of recognizability about notices for service changes like shuttle busing or whatever. Um, that's a major. Th- that's a communications issue that the T just also simply doesn't have money for the the syst- the um and it's also not one of those things where you say to somebody in Metro West oh yeah we'd love to we want to increase your taxes because blah 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 and then it becomes very difficult to say oh well your taxes actually went to improving the T's communication and branding department um oh well how did that improve my service well now you know about the service kind of thing but that's well, not, not you, I'm getting emails from the T all the time about service delays 30 minutes after right you know the delay was recognized. right. Yeah, and yeah, that's. Uh, I mean that. That's also a, a fight in and of itself. Is um, uh, I've 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 had a chance to peek behind the scenes in an interview trying to for one of these positions, and um, it's it's difficult because also uh, I don't know how much they've changed since I had my interview, but uh, if you don't have canned messages ready to go, um, or if you don't have some level of automation, then it becomes. You, you you lose you lose critical seconds in notifying people or, or laboring about how do you tell people someone jumped in front of the train right. um, and then going back and forth between operations and the people upstairs and the in the, the the communications and all that sort of fun stuff uh, a lot of those decisions happen on the ground but going back to your fair card in particular why isn't that a Charlie card you know why does it have to be a little ticket right. and so that, that whoever whatever happened to a Charlie card phase right. two. And that and that loops that loops back to just the the money just not appearing or the money needing to go to emergency emergency construction having to pull them from from wants to well we need to fix this because otherwise trains aren't going to run tomorrow kind of thing so um, but you also talk about you also talk about in terms of the commuter rail you know the interoperability of different right. systems and you know I mean I know a lot of people I've, I've lived here for a decade now and I, I I know a lot of people who don't even take the bus. And there's fewer and fewer of them as people get priced out of these place any place that's close to the T. But you know, I mean, 
these people would just they would just never take the bus and they had no idea what anything about the bus system because you know they lived in Central Square or you know Broadway or something somewhere they could just walk to the train and that's all they ever needed. Right. Um, and but then you know then there's people who you know basically depend almost exclusively on the bus. Like I live in Watertown. I've been working in Needham, so I, most days I just depend on the bus. Mm. Fifty nine now, um, and it just so. They, but obviously you mentioned commuter rail. That's a totally different thing. It's a totally different fare system. It's like and these things aren't timed to coordinate. Um, even like on a Sunday night, like I always said on a Sunday night, there's no reason that buses can't be waiting for the train to arrive or something. You know, well, I do. I see a Forest like Hill station. I do see the buses a lot of times will wait. They'll, they'll know. I mean, I'm assuming this is what's happening, but a lot of times I'll see that uh, the bus will wait because they realize that another Orange Line train has just come in and there's going to be a big wave of passengers you know, coming out. And so I do see that. And I also see... I now see a countdown clock as you're coming, as you're exiting the Orange Line subway. There's a countdown clock yep. for the buses that are going to be oh. waiting there. That was something I that get over uh, there. Uh, yeah. the uh, secretary, uh, not secretary, uh, <laughs> Doctor Scott uh, featured right. that actually. She visited the station, uh, missed her by a few minutes, but yes, that was that was a major innovation. Well, <laughs> major innovation. It's a, it's a it's a it's these small it's these small usability small. customer yeah. service type things. But it would be just, nice if there was also a countdown clock because the commuter rail stops there too. Yep. If you could be walking to the station and before you yeah. make a decision, it says, well, okay, well here's here's the buses that are here, here's the trains that are about to leave, and here's the commuter rail is you know three minutes away. Yeah. You know that helps. Yeah. And and yeah, again, it comes down to integration. Having a having a budget to have say somebody like. Uh, chief officer of details and communications to just go in and and do an overall analysis of these types of things. And actually, I recently, uh, I think as of last year or earlier this year, released a communications report on uh, these different efficiencies and what... uh, um, how they subtly break the system and make it less efficient because people don't know X, Y, or Z. Um, and I'm hoping that we can upgrade, update that this year. Uh, and so if you have any cons- if any ideas, we'll also put that a link for that. If you have any ideas for, um, for choke points, for commu- uh, communications, um, definitely feel free to, to throw us some feedback at, uh, what was it, feedback at transitmatters.info. Um, yes, and notice how I haven't been promising any any links or anything of mine because I'm I'm always I always after the fact that I have to go and try to figure out oh, what, what was it and where's that thing it takes so much time <laughs> this you wouldn't believe it it's easy to talk about transit but it takes so long to upload the stupid thing so um, yeah so I will definitely be adding send that me to links our... <laughs> and uh, I will put them up um, all right yeah so we should wrap up because this is going on uh, very long um, any final closing thoughts we will talk again. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll definitely talk again. Um, okay. Yeah, it, that was uh, that was definitely uh, productive. All right. <laughs> Yay, buses! So, what do you think? Did you learn a few things? Did you uh, enjoy what you heard? Uh, I hope you did. I think we're gonna do it again. So, uh, yeah, look forward to that coming up soon. Um, again, you can get in touch with us by emailing feedback at transitmatters.info. Uh, you can uh, check out the website is transitmatters.info. You can hit up Mark on Twitter at transitmatters or me on Twitter at criticaltransit. Um, and I also have a website called criticaltransit.com. That's a little outdated, but there's a lot of good stuff there. So feel free to check that out. And uh, we will be talking again. Uh, not sure about what next time, but we'll make it happen. Um, and yeah, get in touch with us because we want to... Here we want to hear from you, your your thoughts and, and ideas and suggestions for future topics and guests. Um, and uh, we, I think we met Josh through uh, 
through the podcast or possibly through Mark's writing. So, uh, you know, that's how we uh, get in touch with people and hear what people have to say. A lot of people think, oh, it's, it's you know, not important or somebody else has thought of it or I'm only a, I'm only a casual user and an idiot or whatever. You know, it's like, well, I'm an idiot too. So, you know, whatever you can bring uh, is going to, uh, you know, enrich the experience for everybody. Okay, I'm talking to my ass right now and I got to wrap this up. So, uh, transitmatters.info and I... Look forward to hearing from you, and we will follow up in a couple weeks, or three, or something. Hopefully two. Hey, does anybody like this music? Uh, I don't know. I found it in GarageBand. I think it sounds pretty cool. Uh, but if you have music or anything that you'd like to share, uh, please send it along. And especially if you have music that has anything to do with transit uh, or bicycles or getting around on wheels or anything, uh, it would be really cool. So send that along. <laughs>